Welcome to Hacked Off. In today's episode, I've got another guest on. Today we've got Jen Franklin, who is a cybersecurity leader, advisor, author. And we're going to talk about uh, a lot of the work that she's done in the past, concentrating on things like diversity, but also just how to build your network. So yeah, I guess, um, where should we start? Why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit and give us kind of your, your background? Yes, yeah, so um, my name is Jane Franklin and I work in cybersecurity. Um, I own a, a consulting and training firm and we work with leaders and women in cybersecurity and we help them build enviable, impactful results and go from being burnt out, underappreciated, disillusioned and alone to being remotivated, valued, connected and sought after. And I've got there, or we have various solutions that kind of address those um, those needs. I'm also the founder of Insecurity, the Insecurity Movement, and that followed on from my best-selling book called Insecurity, which is all about why a failure to attract and retain women in cybersecurity is making us all less safe. And I've spent 22 years this year in information security or cybersecurity. I built my own uh, penetration testing firm. I owned that for 16 years. And I've helped major accreditation companies and forums like OWASP, Crest, and Cyber Essentials with a lot of the work that they've done over the years. I'm a judge um, to numerous awards, you know, ranging from those in security in, the, in Europe and the U.S., to those in business across Europe and also book awards as well. So I'm fairly versatile. And I've been, yeah, I've been an entrepreneur for most of most of my career. I was going to say, is it fair to say you've been an entrepreneur effectively from the beginning of your career, right? Because you started a company very early, is that right? Yeah, I would say, I would say that's true. So it's, you know, very much a case of, you know, are entrepreneurs born or are they made? I think for me, I was just always a born entrepreneur. So my background actually was in art and design. So I was working as a freelance designer after graduating. So I I had a career in in that as a young British designer um, before I actually started a a business in in information security stroke cybersecurity. I have had a few jobs. Um, So my first job was, was in sales. And and then after I came out of my own company um, in about, I think it was about 2010 or so, I actually went into a, a very large um, consult, consultancy and was a, an operations director there and then, you know, did, did another job after that. But most of my career actually has been as, as an entrepreneur. Yeah, that sounds uh, really interesting and it's a bit of a, a dive straight into security for you, wasn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. You you mentioned uh, during the introduction there, um, dealing with things like burnout for people who work in security. Um, mm. How how do you address that? Well, I think really it's with it's with leadership. So burnout. In fact, there's been more research that's been done with regards to to burnout, and it's really good that this is coming to light because the challenges that we face in security are profound. You know, not just from 
attackers, you know, coming at us and also compliance issues and regulation and things like that. But we have that whole stakeholder management. So often, you know, what I see is I see because I work with with leaders Mm -hmm. and they could be entrepreneurs or they could be CISOs um, or um, CSOs. Um, and also women, the challenges that they face are actually very, very similar. And one of those, one of those is, is burnout. It's stress, burnout, fatigue, disillusionment, and that feeling of being alone. You know, it's, it, it can be very lonely being at the top, mm-hmm. but there's such huge pressure to, to get it right. So not to be able to fail which we need to do because our learning lessons come from failure. But to a certain extent, we are regarded as the fifth emergency service. Mm, you know, yeah. So there's an awful lot of pressure and there's an awful lot of misunderstanding really in terms of what we're doing. And from having been in the industry for so long, you know, I've seen it um, be born you know, effectively. So the cybersecurity, what we call cybersecurity, um, the industry now, mm-hmm. you know, this being born from, from IT, you know, where it was very technical and evolved into something so much more. There's a lot of behavior that, that goes on, you know, behavioral analysis, mm-hmm. you know, the geopolitical um, state of things and things like that, that are now in our, in our field, as opposed to it being just about securing the perimeter or applications and, th- and things like that, very much IT security. So there's, there's more pressure and there's, because there's, a lack of understanding in terms of what we do. This is what I see. You know, there's that kind of perception that we are securing, and to a certain extent we are, but really what we're doing is mitigating the risk in line with their appetite, you know, the business's appetite yeah, for yeah. risk. And we can't fully secure anything, you know, that, you know, it's just, it's just not possible. And so there's that, almost that tension, that conflict in regard to, to really what, our job is, what our remit is, you know, how far can we go? And then because people are people, there's all the kind of political state within a within an organization and the um, challenges or complexities or hindrances, you know, that, that many of us can face, particularly with our larger organizations. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of different things you mentioned there that can lead to burnout, right? Mm. So, yeah. I mean, you mentioned um, feeling lonely at the top. Um I mean, how how would you say uh, people can can deal with that if you're leading a company and you feel you know there's there's no one you can fall back on? Is it something simple like hey, just do more networking, or how would you deal? With yeah, that? I think so. And this is it's interesting actually because I was having a conversation with a CISO yesterday about this, and both of us were saying exactly the same thing. But it really is about building your network. So. Um, Depending on where you are in your career, sometimes it's possible to build kind of networks that are almost like peer networks, so those peer friendships and things like that. If you are, I would say, lower down in an organization, you can do that more easily. But when you reach, you're reaching the top, you know, almost like the pinnacle of of your career, actually doing that within an organization can actually and being vulnerable, which is a strength when, when it's used correctly, it can also be quite it can also be quite risky and it can be too risky to do that within an organization. You have to watch your back because 
sometimes people are gunning for you or you are a threat to them or your message or your pitch or your, your remit, what you're trying to do, can be a threat or there could be a conflict of interest there. So what I always advise, and, and this helps in so many other ways as well, is actually building a network out of your organization as well and having that to be di- as diverse as possible. So say for, for me, you know, what I what I do is, Yes, I have a very big network in security. That's my main network. But I also have a very big network outside of it. So I mix with a lot of entrepreneurs and I see lots of different things that are going on. And a lot of those things, you know, I can use in my business or I can advise, you know, when I'm training or coaching or consulting with clients, you know, particularly if it's in an entrepreneurial capacity, mm-hmm. I can advise them to to follow similar methods and everything that I do is tried and tested so I will have tried it first in my business does it work um, you know also with the kind of caveat my business isn't the same as everybody else's business <laughs> but I can you know I can use that um, to to help my clients so it's it's really good to to have that and in the book I, I mentioned posses so having posses and your posse is um, really having people around you, a small number of people who, and again, the diverse, the, the better, because they can see things, you know, look out for your blind spots and things like that and see things in different ways. Um, but having a, uh, a posse and a diverse kind of network helps because it, it keeps you stronger. And a posse will be a, a small group of people who you can turn to, who have got your back, who will challenge you, who will see your blind spots, who preferably have done what you want to do mm-hmm. so they can talk from experience. Um, and you can literally pick up the phone or drop them an email or, you know, a message on, on social media and say, look, I'm thinking about doing this or I've tried doing this. You know, what's your view? And then, of course, you can have coaches. You know, you can have coaches and you know consultants as well that you can pull in and um, you know ask for their help and their guidance and, and advice. So that's that's what I see to be really helpful when you do get at the top. And I, ideally, you would have you would have a mix of all of those. You know, to really keep you strong and um, you know on on the right yeah. path because it it is. Very, very lonely at, at the top. Do you think um, that that's different more recently than maybe it was when, when you started out being an entrepreneur and working with entrepreneurs? I'm thinking things like the influence of social media on yeah, a person's I network. I really, really do. And it is interesting because, you know, in those days when I started my penetration testing company, my hacking farm, um, that was in 1997. And it was, you know, it's kind of old school methods. You know, you picked up the mm-hmm. phone. If you wanted to get a, have a meeting with anyone and do develop your business, you picked up the phone. Um, email was fairly new. Uh, websites, you know, I remember going and have meetings with large corporates and not a, all of them had a website, you know, or if they did have a website, it was really new and they were static websites, almost like brochureware and things like that. So technology has evolved so much over the past, you know, two two decades that I've been in business. And I do think it has, it's enabled that connection. It's enabled us to be more vulnerable, but it, it's also enabled a kind of, almost like a, a, a loneliness as well. And I know there are threats and, you know, advantages and disadvantages and things like that. But I think it was the Dalai Lama who said something like, you know, never before have we had so much 
um, methods to communicate, and I'm paraphrasing here, but so many methods to communicate and things like that, but never been so alone. You know, never mm. before has our communication been so poor, and this is what this is what I see. You know, I don't know whether I'm guilty of not communicating in as timely a manner as I would like, and I'm I've been brought up on being incredibly responsive and, and flexible and winning business on account of that in the past. But I know what it's like now. And I also see that I'm very, very attentive to what's, what's going on, to listening, to watching what's going on in the marketplace, in our industry and outside of that. But I see the communication to be poorer than ever. But it has also enabled that, us to be more connected and also for us to share and to be more vulnerable. And Sunny, say if I'm talking about the book, one of the things that came out from the book, you know, one of the the, the messages and, and feedback that I got from women was that so many of the stories that I wrote about, they said could have been mine. It's just like, well, that could have been mine, that could have been mine, that could have been mine. And what they felt was, I am not alone. And this Whilst I interviewed um, hundreds and spoke to thousands of, of people over two years, you know, kind of getting that information, doing the research and things like that, because really at the start of it, I knew very little. Um, you know, it was, it was interesting to, to really um, hear from the women how alone they felt and how empowered they, they felt reading the book, that they weren't alone and so many of the challenges that they were facing uh, were challenges that other women are, are facing, you know, is on a this, daily basis. Um, is this maybe uh, a fear of your own kind of public image? So obviously yes. social media means you can message people a lot uh, faster, but also we have, you know, profile pages and things like that. Is this uh, maybe people being scared of their own kind of brand? Yes, it's exposure. So sometimes, again, it's that fear. So culturally, we have this whole... Uh, fear of getting it wrong. Um, what if it's not right? You know, what if I make a mistake? Um, there's a lot of that going on, you know, with leaders because they, they're higher up, so they are more ex- exposed. Um, and also, so with women, you know, it's not, I don't see it being a case of confidence. You know, when I talk about confidence, I see that as being a case of um, how you see risk. You know, women mm-hmm. see risk in a different way to, to men. Uh, women and men are different. That's a good thing. And we all have a range of how male and female we we are, um, you know, within ourselves. But um, when it comes to putting yourself out there, you are more exposed. And certainly if it comes to, you know, women or or leaders, you know, there is that, well, what if it's not right? What if I make a mistake? The eyes are on me. And when you look at leaders, they're in a minority. When you look at women, they're in a minority. So it matters. It matters more. So there is that whole risk, that whole exposure, and the other thing that's interesting is we have a lot of um, we have a lot of dyslexic people in our industry. Mm, yeah, we, yeah. we really do. So sometimes, if it, you know, if you're writing, you know, I've, I've worked with um, CISOs and they will stick their hand up and say, actually, the reason why I haven't done this is because I'm, I'm dyslexic and I actually am concerned about writing something that might be mis belt or mm-hmm. not quite right or something like that and and the, uh, dyslexia or processing issues is that they're things that aren't talked about um a lot in our industry but that that's a good it's not a good thing that they're not talked about <laughs> but having 
these abilities, I call them abilities, is good because it, it comes back to the diversity aspect. So we are all different. The more diverse, the more different we are, the better that we, we, we can be. So say when it comes to putting yourself out there, writing is a very powerful method and blogging and getting your your um, your content and your um, your stance on how you see things is a very, very powerful method, but um, you can, if it's not your forte, if writing isn't your forte, then you can speak. We've got mm-hmm. many great orators and things like that in our industry, um, and particularly those that might not be good at writing can usually really speak well, um, or, or, or video. So there's lots of different ways that that um, we can get out there. And interestingly, I was just going to say, because this is another conversation I was having with someone the other day about, Mm -hmm. literally yesterday, about writing and when it comes to to women. I think what's interesting about writing and and women and putting your leadership, your stance on the world, you know, out there um, is that really it's pretty much a level playing field because you're not subjected to as much bias um, as you are in other mediums like video or voice. So you're not heard and you're not seen. All that is seen and consumed are the words on the page. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you're less, you're less subjected. So you can you know, really effectively build your influence in, the, in that medium and get your thoughts and ideas and your leadership and your stance out there in the world, which helps to build your credibility, helps to build the trust, you know, which are really important uh, with the world that we're, we're moving into with Industry 4.0 and the Fourth Industrial Revolution, you know, where there's more reliance on emotional intelligence and agility and, and, and your thinking ability because technology is moving fast and we've got more, um, more tools available to us. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I'd never really thought of um, the the variety of ways that people can get out there, right? So, so personally, I do a lot of blogging. I find it it works for me. But you're absolutely right. If if people struggle with writing or feel just even just uncomfortable with writing, then you know, public speaking and and those kinds of things, or even vlogging, is is uh, just another thing to think about. Absolutely. And the other thing also that I'd add into that, if any of those aren't aren't your key skill sets, and you know, you can, skills Skills are learned and developed, you know, mm-hmm. so we're not born with these abilities, you know, we've, we might have a natural tendency, but a lot of the time we, we work daily, you know, I work on my skills absolutely daily, I take courses and programs and read and listen to podcasts and watch videos and things like that so that I can sharpen, sharpen the saw and be more effective and serve my, my audience, my people so, so much more. But, you know, bringing in the another dimension, you know, if speaking isn't uh, a skill and one you don't want to to develop mm-hmm. you have no desire or writing or um, video and film and things like that then code you know many we have you know coding is a, is a language coding is is also a tool so develop you know you can you can still be effective by creating you know and, and still serving and getting yourself out there through through coding, through building apps, through building you know other other bits of software. So you know I really I like to bring that in because I see it as another way to communicate. Yeah, I mean, uh, what about you though? You you mentioned earlier um, the the book that you wrote, of course. But mm. what was your um, own process for writing that? You know, we're talking about 
um, the challenges of writing and those kinds of things. Was it yeah, well, a um, lot of research or was it just a thing yeah. you had in your head to get out? Uh, kind of a bit of both. <laughs> so the the book happened as a, as an accident. And <laughs> yeah, it's uh, many things have happened as, a, as an accident. I think, you know, I teach strategy and things like that and I kind of, often think maybe I should just forget that and just like play to the to the accident you know I'm I'm very much a, a believer of that being attentive and things like that and um so I, I was listening but what happened with the book was I read a, a report by ISC squared on the state of the workforce when it came to women and um this was in 2015 and I read this report and actually I was quite shocked because I it, it talked about the the low numbers of of women in the industry, and I think at that stage um, they were about eleven percent globally. And I was shocked by that because I thought, oh my God, you know, I know so many more women who are in the industry now than when I was in it right at the very start um, of my career in in ninety seven. It really surprised me. I thought that, that there was so much more than than that, and. But then what worried me more, actually, was the declining trends. So I like patterns and spotting trends, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. in fashion or whatever it is. You know, it's, again, that being attentive. And I saw this trend developing with, you know, a slide. slide. You know, so women, um, I think it was in 2008, were around about 2008, 2009, were at about 18%, you know, in the industry. And, And then they'd slowly declined to 10, 11%, you know, and then we're hovering at, at that. And, um, and, and that bothered me. And I, I felt compelled to write and I had to write about this. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to get absolutely shot for what, <laughs> what I've written. And, and I thought, but this is my experience and I've been in the industry for so long and I've done something that a lot of people haven't done. So this is my voice and, and I have to do this. So just be brave and put that out there. And so literally I hovered over that published now on LinkedIn because I published it on LinkedIn to begin with. Mm-hmm. Hovered over it and just go, do it, do it, do it, press that button, publish. And I did that and then went off and walked my dog. And when I got <laughs> <laughs> when I got back, you know, I had already, you know, so many comments or from men and women saying, you know, this this resonates um and, and putting their view across and things like that. And and so I continued with that. Um I wrote a a longer piece for a magazine um, in about November. And then by December, I didn't have my kids for a, a week and a half over the Christmas period. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to organize this and turn it into a guide. And I'm going to do these other guides to help people in the industry. Um, what books to read? You know, what about children? What about boys? What about girls? Um, what about events and things like that? And, and formulate this into a guide um, and make it more useful. And the guide alone, without any of the other resources, turned out to be 15,000 words. And I suddenly thought, hang on, this is half a book. You know, <laughs> I only need 30,000 words for a book. You know, maybe I should just go and interview um, some women, maybe some men, and add more value and turn it into a book. And it, it had nothing to do with my business at all. And um, and so I, I've got in contact with a publisher that I knew and said, look, I've done this. It's nothing to do with my business. Should I turn it into a book? Because I'm very much aware of a book really um, can be, unless you're writing fiction or something like that, really is part of a product ecosystem. Um, but, you know, she said to me, she said, look, you'd be crazy if you didn't do this. So I thought, right, fine, let's go out. Let's ask my network, do you want me to do this? And they came back saying yes. And so I found out how much it was going to cost to um, 
I did a kind of self, it was a hybrid, so mm-hmm. I didn't go out and pitch to a publisher. I did a hybrid uh, version, so I did work with a publisher, but I also part self-published. And because I needed this book to go out and work and get it out fast rather than, you know, wait for a publisher and do a publishing deal. And um, so I did a Kickstarter campaign. I thought, well, let's really see if people will put their money where their mouth is. Do they really, really want it? And so I did a Kickstarter campaign and I was very, I was concerned because I didn't have some fancy camera or anything like that. All I had was a passion to serve and a desire to serve. And so I put together a video and an offer and went out there and absolutely shamelessly pitched for the, <laughs> for the book. And within, you know, I toyed with, do I do Indiegogo or Kickstarter? Kickstarter was all or nothing. So I set my limit and just went hell for leather. And it's, I very much had this focus of this book is happening. It is just a case of when. And I'm going to be shameless about pitching. And I pitched for corporate sponsors and got them as well. But I actually um, got the money for the book from the community. So it was without corporate sponsors that that book happened and I'm so proud of that and and because they they brought the community brought that book to to life they brought that book to everybody else you know had it not been for them it might not have happened um well, it would have happened but it's you know I kind of I feel very much indebted to, to those the, the the people that pledged it you know the men and women because there were um you know there were lots of men and women who believed in it, believed in me, thankfully, because I'd also done a fair bit of writing so they could see, you know, who I was and, and the quality of my writing. And then within a month, um, you know, I was, it was a case of, oh my, oh my God, this, this is happening. I'm writing a book. And then it was a case of a little bit of panic. How the hell do I do this? You know, it's, and feeling overwhelmed and scared, but you know, cracking on with it. And, and the way that I, I cracked on with it really was treating each, you know, I worked with a book coach who's brilliant and she came from a background in tech. She came from a background in co- co- uh, coding. Um, so it was uh, really, really, really good and much more meaningful as well to, to me working with someone like that. And and I tackled each one at really after I'd worked out the framework for it as, as, a, as a blog and then went about doing the research. And there are 200 um, data points, so 200 reference points in the book. Um, so everything that I'm writing about is backed up with data, um, either fresh data or, or, or data that was out there from our industry or from other industries, so draw, drawing on that. So, yeah, and then the book was a real, the book took two years. Um, the book was a real journey. Um, and, yeah, it, I mean, I felt very insecure publishing it ironically (laughs) deeply afraid you know what if it wasn't good enough what if I didn't meet the expectations of those people those corporate sponsors the people who'd pledged you know what if it wasn't what if it wasn't good enough so I felt very vulnerable very exposed which which is a good thing because you know that that helps me to help other people because you know of what of what I've gone through the challenges and I would say if I can do it you can do it you know I can help you too yeah I think um that that's the thing isn't it it's uh just getting out there and, and doing it yes and and sometimes you know interestingly as well though sometimes it is a case when I faced I took quite a long time to edit it because you know by by that stage I'd gone through it 
And I know our our industry can be pernickety and it's just like, well, you said this, you know, where is the evidence? You know, so it's just like, okay, I've got to do that. That was another reason for me providing the data. Mm-hmm. Um, but but also it, I wanted to add more new new stories have come out. Um, so I wanted to add those and bring those in. And I just went over it with a fine tooth comb. And and, and I said to, to my coach, I said, look, is it a case of me just like feeling the fear and, and putting it out there is it a case of me doing that and expanding my comfort zone and things like that and he actually said no it's not like you're a doer you really need to look at why you are fearful of this so we went into a whole is so so true and so so often we don't do this you know as 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 leaders or as as women or even as men you know it's just like something is 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 blocking us you know whether that is procrastination or whether you know it's kind of manifesting itself as, as another kind of form so often we don't do this or or we do push through it and we force it and we don't actually stop and examine what is it and if we don't do that then we're only going to face it again and we're not going to learn the tools that we need to in order to deal with these things so i'm very grateful that i learned a process for for doing that and actually stopping and assessing and working with someone to look at well is this a false belief. Is it a limiting belief, which it was? So it was bullshit. There was no evidence there to kind of, you know, really give me any reason to doubt that my writing or my work wouldn't be good enough at all in any of my career history. So, you know, it was very much a case of trust. Um, you serve. You've done the best that you you. you could have done in the time that was available. You can always redo it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it was it was very much um, a case of trust, belief. It's been edited. It's been looked at by the publisher, and they've come back and said it's a good book. Um, you know, it had been peer reviewed by some other people in the industry. So I've got testimonials from people who I trust trusted, and they'd said, you know, it's a great book. Um, so that also that also helped. Um, but it's yeah, it was it was a real, it was a real journey, real journey. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, you know having a, a book coach and mm. and certainly using the the network to to help you with these with these big projects. Mm. Um, and and earlier we said about you know having a, a diverse network, you know, not just being focused on your one company. Um, yeah. How can how can people make sure that their network is is wide enough, and how can people reach out to people who work with other organisations in in other fields? Well, they can come and they can definitely, if they're in our industry, they can come and join the Insecurity Tribe. So the Insecurity, they, they need to believe in the mission, you know, that what I'm creating. So, um, you know, if they've read the book or if they want to read the book, but if they believe in diverse, diversity in our industry and being as strong as you can be through those means, then they can come and join the tribe. And the Insecurity Tribe is um, is full of great people. It's not... Um, just for women, it's for people who believe in the same thing, so we're values aligned. Um, so they can come, if they're in the industry or want to get into the industry, then they can come and, and join that tribe. Um, if they're out of it, then really it's looking at um, what, what, interests, what interests them and, and or who interests them and really kind of spending the time to actually um, go and do some networking. And I, I think to mix it up, so do some networking online. You can join groups. So depending on where you spend most of your time, you know if it's 
you might prefer to do it on Facebook and to join a group on Facebook because Facebook groups actually are really good and they can be really engaging. Um, LinkedIn groups I don't find particularly engaging, um, but there are other social platforms that you can use that that might have you know more engagement mm-hmm. and interaction, um, and then you know, sometimes through meetups and things like that. So you've got. Um, yeah, they can be online meetups, but also offline meetups. So to really kind of spend the time researching and looking at what interests you, um, and and then going and and you know for, forming those um, relationships and, and doing the networking online and and offline, it's it's a good thing to do. So, say for me because I'm an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I've gone out and either joined courses or gone and networked with entrepreneurs who might be in my and they might be in my locality. I do have a global network of entrepreneurs in lots of different industries. Um, you know, so so that's kind of what what I've done. But equally, you know, I might have networks in in other fields as 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 well, mm-hmm. not just entrepreneurship. So you mentioned the the insecurity tribe. That's the uh, the the following the book, right? So yeah. you wrote the book, and then and yeah. then this kind of bore the tribe. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's, I mean, that's freely available now. And, you know, I very much, and I always talk about this and, and usually write about it, but, um, you know, I, I always talk about doing this together. So as men and women, the only way that we are going to evolve, the only way that we are going to pro- progress and not divide is by doing this together. Um, so it's important that I help men feel that they are really valued and um, they can help us with this mission, um, you know, this happened with the suffragettes. You know, there were um, many thousands of men that helped with with the suffragette movement, you know, the women's uh, movement there. So we need men to help us. Men can do this together. Men do want to help. Mm-hmm. So I, I need um, to include men and pull them in and also make sure that women are feeling safe to reveal and expose themselves so um you know in in a way that you know helps us to ad- advance together and you know so that that's that's freely available um you know there but there will be i have got something coming that will be just for for women mm-hmm. um you know in the it will be coming this year actually so i've i've been talking about this for a while and the whole you know, whilst the you know I wrote the book, that was an accident. It wasn't part of my business. <laughs> you know, I've I've had to kind of develop things um, so that I've not just left um, women and 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 leaders out there with well, what do we do about it? You've written this book, but you know, which does touch on lots of things that you can do to solve the the challenge and make you, your organisation, your teams, the best that they can be. Um, but you know, I, I I've not been I can't. It's it's my obligation to actually develop these products and services so that I can actually further aid and not just leave 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 people dangling with a half-baked um, solution. Yeah. So that's why, you know, for me, I'm bringing to market something purely, purely for women to really help them become more confident, more connected, more seen um, in insecurity and really build that resilience because it's not just about attracting you know women to our industry it is about keeping them within it and and helping them to advance their careers however they want to at whatever time because you know we're living breathing 
people. So, you know, we might have an aspiration to to do something, you know, whether that's to to be a subject matter expert in a in a domain mm-hmm. or to be a leader or to go off and start a company, but it might not be right, right now. I think that's a, a big thing as well. You mentioned, um, so obviously diversity is very important, but mm. it, it's not just attracting people, right? You you have to attract and, and then retain them. Yes, absolutely. And, and also the way that we work is changing. So in terms of retention, it may not be for as long well, it's it's definitely not for as long as we had in the past. So jobs aren't aren't for life anymore. So you may, if you, I always think, if you get two years out of someone, that's good going, you know. So you know, and I can look at that from a you're you're a hiring manager, or you're a leader, an employer. So you know, aim aim for that. If you have them for any longer, then great, that's absolutely brilliant. But you know, look to have them for about two years. And then also if you're, um, you know, in the industry, maybe you're a millennial even, you know, because they're, um, you know, we're, we're all slightly different, you know, in terms of the demographics and the mm-hmm. generations, you know, then you don't have to stay, you don't have to remain in a job for a certain amount of, of time. You know, it's much more fluid. Um, things are much more, they're faster, they're more agile, they're more fluid than ever they were. So people will come and go. And I think the important thing to to remember as well is to um, to create the environment. You know, I talk about a lot about um, high challenge, high support environments whereby you are challenged, you are developed, you are supported. So you create these psychological safe environments so that you can get the best out of your people um, and you create those and you, that means that you're also attracting them so you have a great p- pipeline of talent coming but also to remember that whilst people will go and move on um, you can always bring them back you know if you if you've created these remarkable performance environments that have this psychological safety then people will spread the word you know if people leave when they leave you know they'll spread continue being an ambassador for, for you as a leader because really that's what it's a, is about mm-hmm. you know people follow the leaders you know people are attracted to a leader you know when I've had jobs yes I have looked at the organization I've looked at the viability is it a is it a startup you know what it what is it's accounting what is its cash flow what does it look like in terms of survivability and things like that but I and and I've I've looked at the main thing has always been who is the leader? Will I follow them? Can I learn from them? Can I contribute? So it's, the leadership is very important. And what I'm, I'd advise people who are in the tribe, you know, in the insecurity mm-hmm. tribe, or people who are coached by me or trained by me, you know, you, you can look out for signals. And equally, I'll do this with leaders. So it's just like be a signal, you know, be, be that magnet to attract, you know, the types of people that you want to attract and then people will follow you wherever you go so it's just like you know you'll 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 move on and you know you you won't have a problem with recruiting because people will 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 be attracted to wherever you go and you'll become known for that as well do you think um the fact that people have uh, kind of moved from having a job for life to being uh, more agile do you think that's a, a challenge for the industry Yes, it can be. Yes, it can be. And I've spoken to some of the big consulting firms and some of the hiring managers there are looking for a, for a 10 year, you know, mm-hmm. you know for for employees to stay with them for 10 years, which is an out of date 
it's 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 not attainable. It's not attainable any anymore. Ten years is is not. Yeah. Five years you're doing really well, um, but two years is definitely. So yes, there there is that. There's a lack of kind of understanding, and I think so often we're so caught up in the now. We're so caught up in the now that we don't actually look to the future, which again can be, it can be a, a threat to us. You know, we're so busy kind of coping. We're so busy being burnt out. We're so busy being not available because we've got bombarded with pressures and challenges of being under-resourced to being, you know, attacked to being new regulation to, you know, all of these things to budget, you know, and, and so forth or new technologies that are out there or being overwhelmed or overfaced with with them that yeah sometimes we're caught up in in the now without actually really looking without planning and and, and our our job in in with regards to what we're doing should be about the future and yes we do work in technology and it is evolving at speed so well how far can you look to the future but i do see a real threat in terms of what we're doing because we are very much working in the now and and not really, even though we'll be doing strategies, we're not looking to the future. And actually, on that note, the other thing that I also see is that, again, from a leadership perspective, leaders are not staying in positions as long as is needed. So, for example, from a CISO or CSO perspective, you know, I might see um, someone in a job for less than two years. and, and But when I look at CIOs or CTOs, it's they have a much longer um, they have a much longer tenure, so it could be four to six years. Four to six years, you can do something. Two years, you just get your foot in the door, assess what's going on, um, and you know actually put a plan together, start to implement it, and then you're you know you're either approached or you you see what the environment is like, see that you can't maybe make the challenges, or maybe you're overwhelmed and can't cope with them, so feel. Um, vulnerable uh, without having support around you that you think, oh, it's time to move on. I'm going to get found out. I'm going to get exposed. Um, or maybe something happens and you are the scapegoat. You know, so 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 this is another, it is another challenge, another threat, another vulnerability for us having this constant churn of leaders in positions for maybe 18 months, 21, 21 months, I think, was the average tenure for a CISO. Um, is that is that specifically a security thing, do you think? Is it, um, yeah. I mean, you mentioned some reasons there, but, but maybe things like burnout or another, you know, linked burnout even at the leadership level. Yes. So, well, I've only, I only looked at it because I only looked at it um, in regards to CIOs. So I just did a quick um, mm-hmm. search and comparison. You know, is this a problem just for us in, in security, or are other industries having the same issue? At, at, uh, you know, in leadership, in leadership, and you know, what I found was was that others, from the research that I did, from the data that I could compile, that they they weren't having the same challenges. Whether or not they will do in the future, I don't know, because of the way that work, work is going. Mm-hmm. But um, we do have, I think, really when when I look at the nature of the work that we have, the hostility around us within the organisation, that whole stakeholder management, the, you know, do you get it, the political environment, then it is, it is really hard for us and often we aren't supported and often we are under re- almost like a fait complete that we are mm-hmm. mo- moving on within a short time frame. 
So I, I think it is one of the hardest. I think I really think it's one of the hardest environments. You know, if you're in a if you're in a sales position or something like that, well, you're in a results. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're, you're delivering results. So you, if you don't deliver the results, um, then you're you're going to move move on. So that can be, you know, you can be, um, you know, in in a position for a short short amount of time. But um, you know, they they're different different um, jobs, different skills and things like that, different environments. But I do think being a CISO or a CSO is right now a really hard, really hard job to do. Do you think there's anything that um, CISO should be looking at kind of personally to make sure that they don't feel that pressure to, to feel forced to move after such a short period of time? Um, yeah, I mean, they can look, you know, they can do their due diligence on the company, on the leaders around mm-hmm. them. So look at the stakeholder managers, you know, who are they reporting to, you know, how, um, you know, if they're ready to report to the to the board, you know, if they um, really understand the language and they have those skills to, to do that and want to do that, aspire to do that, ready to do that, then how far removed from, from the board or the exec team, you know, are they? Mm-hmm. Um you know, they can build the networks that we spoke about earlier, but they can also do other things to keep them kind of mentally mentally strong. And some of the things that I talk about, you know, in regards to to those are things like meditation, mindfulness, getting out, walking in nature, mm-hmm. getting away from things, you know, making sure that you do have a full life so it's not work, work, work. Um, you know, your, your family, you know, you know, the, spending time with your your family and friends and loved ones, and and then also working on your actual physical fitness because that really is the foundation to to everything. You know, your physical fitness is so important. You know, it does feed the mind. It keeps your mind, you know, strong and fit. You know, fitness, nutrition, mm-hmm. sleep, or mindfulness. Um, you know, all networks, the connection, spending time with family and film, all of those things are all so important to keeping you really um, well, you know, well, happy and strong and effective in the in the job that you are doing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, that that's the end of my questions for you. Is there anything that you wanted to raise that you don't think we've talked about? I think we've covered a lot of ground, so I'm happy with what we've. I'm co- really happy with what mm-hmm. we've covered. It's. It's. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk. I feel I've talked a lot at at <laughs> you and the audience. Um, you know, so thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's, it's oh, thank been you for really on. good to cover what we have done. Good. Um, so, if people are interested in your um, insecurity book, um, where can they find out more about that? They can find out about it. It is on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So. Just do a do a search on Amazon. Um, you can find it on. It's on my LinkedIn profile. There are kind of cookie, you know, follow the cookie crumb trail, mm-hmm. and so clues. So you can you can follow that thread there. It's on my websites as well. I've got two websites. I've got my kind of personal branding uh, mm-hmm. website, which is jane-frankland.com, and then I've got my company website, which is um, cybersecuritycapital.com. So either any of those kind of methods are going to come to to the book. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Well, well, thank you very much for, for being on. It's been a really interesting conversation. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you all for listening to, to that uh, discussion with Jen there. But I have a question for the audience. 
Um, how do you deal with burnout? We talked a lot throughout this conversation about uh, the risks of burnout and things like CISOs leaving companies only after a short amount of time because of that kind of vulnerability that they feel. Um, how do you personally deal with the, the risks of burning out from overwork and a little bit too much passion? Let us know on social media. I'll be very interested to hear from you all.